is a full service, but I'm really excited to be able to share with you today. We're starting our new sermon series called Jesus Rediscovered. I want to start off by just sharing a story. I've been reading a book that someone in the congregation gave me, and it was of a pastor who was checking into a conference. He was the keynote speaker, and his room wasn't ready yet, so they told him to go and sit by the pool under the umbrella, and another business lady was also there because of a conference that she was attending, and she asked the pastor, so what do you do? And he started to explain that he writes books and he's a keynote speaker. And then the lady started to confidently share what she believed about Jesus. And as she was confidently sharing all these facts about the person of Jesus, he suddenly had the idea that the Jesus that he knew was quite different to the Jesus that this lady was talking about. So in that moment, he stopped and he said, Holy Spirit, would you help me just communicate clearly what you want me to do in this moment? And he stopped the lady and said, do you see that man sitting across the pool? His name is Jim, and he is a very wealthy businessman who is training to be a, training to participate in a triathlon, and he comes here every day, and he swims in the swimming pool, and he takes his bike, and he runs, and he's got seven children, and that's his wife sitting over there, and he starts rattling off a whole bunch of facts about this person. Now, the lady stops and says, oh, so is he attending your conference? And she turns around, and he turns around and says, no, I've never met him before. So she's like, oh, are you like some secret agent, private investigator that knows all this stuff about this man. And he says, no, this is what I believe about him. And she suddenly thought, hmm, this is a little bit awkward. And he was then able to explain and express the Jesus that he knew, the Jesus that he had come to know through scripture. So today when we start the sermon series called Jesus Rediscovered, I'm trusting for fresh revelation in who Jesus is. I think it would be quite awkward to one day meet him and discover the Jesus I thought I knew is not the Jesus that I am standing face to face with. So let's go back in time. Let's look at Jesus through history. Let's discover who he is with fresh eyes. Jesus was born around 5, 6 BC. He lived 30 years, which are known as the hidden years of formation. We don't know much about those 30 years where he worked in his father's business as a carpenter. We see that he went and had three years of his public ministry, which we have well documented and a lot of stories about that. But let's fast forward to the year AD 150. And the early church was wrestling with this idea of Jesus being fully God, but fully man. And the early church got together and they came out with these belief statements. And many of you would know them, the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, and depending on your church background, you may be able to quote the Apostles' Creed off by heart. But it says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, On the third day, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And then it goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit. What I find quite interesting, it goes from Jesus was born, comma, he died. And it misses out the whole narrative of what Jesus came to do, his kingdom message, what he came to represent. It basically sums his whole life up in a comma. 
Now, if you've been journeying with us at the start of this year, I spoke about the, 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 the gospel that has been reduced. So we have creation, we have the fall, we have man, humanity lost in sin, and it basically jumps straight to the solution. Jesus died on the cross. And we celebrate that, amen, which we did this morning with communion. Then it talks about waiting to get to heaven. Now, the full gospel kingdom message, which I spoke about a few weeks back, talks about the fall, creation lost, but then we cannot miss the story of Israel, how God used the nation of Israel. That climaxes in the story of Jesus, why Jesus came, and the message of the kingdom that he preached. And then he died, he rose again, and he ascended. And then we see this empowered church that has a mandate to do. And if you think Jesus came and died and told you to wait until this world goes to hell, until we can get out of here, you are missing the bigger picture. He has come to establish his kingdom. And you just have to go read Revelation 21 that talks about the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem coming here and the role that we have. So we need to go back and we have to look at the story of Jesus. And this is what we're going to do in this series called Jesus Rediscovered. Fresh discoveries about who Jesus really was, his purpose and calling, his mission and his message. We used to sing a song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you. I want this to be a burning desire of ours that says, Jesus, I wanna see you afresh. I wanna be intrigued by you. I want to be fascinated by you, Jesus. And part of our motivation for doing this sermon series is that we would fall more in love with him. This is not just trying to get more head knowledge. Many people can study philosophy or even study theology and not have a relationship with Jesus. I'm trusting that we would fall more in love with him. Father Pedro, Pedro Arupa said this, nothing is more practical than finding God. That is than falling in love in quite an absolute final way. What or who you are in love with, what seizes your imagination will affect everything. It will decide what you will get out of bed in the morning for, what you will do with your evenings, how you will spend your weekends, what you will read, who you will know, and what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love with Jesus, stay in love with Jesus, and it will decide everything. How is your love for Jesus doing at the moment? I know that I still long to love him more and fall more in love with him. Not just this concept of Jesus, not just this idea that I have about him, but I wanna know him. We talk about Christianity not being a religion, but a relationship. It's gotta be real. It's gotta be something that we feel like this is a real relationship. So my desire is that it would affect your life. Your love for him will change the way that you live. Jesus asked Peter this question, who do you say I am? So we're going to start when we meet in our life groups and our small groups, answering this question of who do you say Jesus is? Who is he to you? Can you describe him to me, to the group? And this is where the danger is that we project ourselves onto Jesus in the Jesus that we want to see. So we want Jesus to be a certain way because that's how we want him to be. And then we want Jesus to hate the things that we hate because we don't like those things in this world. And there is a danger that we try and create him into our own image. So we must all be aware, I don't wear glasses, so 
but we must all be aware of the lenses through which we see Jesus, our upbringing, our culture, the influence that we've had growing up. We need to acknowledge our modern cultural contextual conditioning in our study of who Jesus is. So the question you're going to answer this week in life groups is describe Jesus, describe the Jesus you see and believe in. And here is my hidden agenda in the sermon series, that we would personally discover a fresh vision and understanding of the real Jesus and his kingdom mission, and that that message would change how we live. What implications would it then have on your life? And I'll so kind of a statement that we have this year is called living on mission for the king. So when we study Jesus and we read the gospels, it can be difficult. The Jewish Jesus, the culture of the day. We don't always understand when Jesus responded in quite a weird, strange way in our world, the, the hearers understood it and we don't always understand it. So it can be difficult to try and understand the, Jew, the Jewish Jesus. So we have been influenced by a picture of Jesus. And I would like us to acknowledge maybe the Jesus films that we've watched in our life. So if I had to ask you to picture Jesus right now, you may picture one of these faces. How many of you are currently watching the Chosen series? But we watch through visual images this picture of the Jesus. Unfortunately, in our history, in the West, there is this picture of a white, blue-eyed Western Jesus that comes through in all the paintings and literature. And there is a danger in that. I don't know if any of you recently saw that they reconstructed a face, a skull that was uncovered, uncovered in modern Israel that dates back to the first century. And through these guys are clever, too clever for me, how they do it. But the reconstruction of that face looked more like the person on the right-hand side than the blue-eyed, western, white Jesus to the left. What is your picture of Jesus? And maybe it has been distorted, maybe it isn't true. But only one day when we truly meet Jesus face-to-face -face will we really know what he looked like. But he was a rugged, Middle Eastern Jew, and um, he probably had dark hair and a dark beard and, and dark brown eyes instead of nice blue eyes and blonde hair with this perfect glow around his face wherever he went. But can we know the real Jesus? And for some of us that pray every day to Jesus and we talk to him and we have this relationship with him, I don't always have a picture of what he is. I just know he's seated at the right hand of the Father, that he's there and we have a relationship. And I wanna to say today that maybe you don't believe this, but Jesus is alive today. And by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, our relationship of knowing Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to have a relationship with him today. I call him my friend. Some people call him their best friend. I pray to him. So can we know the Christ of faith? And why I use the term Christ of faith is because he is the risen Lord. So I'm gonna to refer to Jesus as the Christ of faith. And the way we get to know the Christ of faith is through our relationship that we have with him. I started my relationship with Jesus when I was young. And I remember multiple times as a child, 
going to the front and responding to an altar call and making Jesus my Lord and my Savior. And as the years have gone on, I've slowly got to know him and I've had to learn what it means that he is my Lord. So what I want you to realize today is that knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus work together. So knowing Jesus by faith is my relationship that I have with the Jesus that is in heaven right now. But knowing Jesus through history helps me understand the Christ of faith. And what I mean about discovering the Jesus through history, that is going back to what the word says, the gospels say about this Jesus of Nazareth, the son of man, the son of God. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 verse four, he says, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. So there can be different Jesuses that go around. And I'm hoping that if there's anyone here today that has a distorted view of Jesus, that Jesus would shine his light on it and expose the lie. So for example, some people believe that Jesus is a spirit being that wasn't really in flesh. He just kind of appeared in flesh, but he was just spirit. Or some people believe that Jesus was an angel. That's where it comes out of the Jehovah Witness movement. Some people believe that he is a good man and nothing more. He was just a moral teacher, a good man. Others believe that he was just one of the prophets, one of the many prophets that came to this world. Others believe that he was a violent revolutionary. And then we have these ideas. Remember I said we kind of project what we want Jesus to be like. So we would say something like, oh, Jesus loves me so much. He doesn't really care if I sin or how I live my life. He just loves me. I wonder what he thinks of how I live and the decisions I make and the choices I make. So if you've been saved for a long time and you look at church history and the views of Jesus, there are some interesting seasons in the life of the church that have painted a different picture of Jesus. And one of the latest things that is happening in the last 70 to 80 years is this thing called rediscovering the eschatological Jesus, who Jesus was through the gospels. And this is kind of known as the third quest for Jesus. This is a little bit technical, please excuse me, but I just want to highlight some of the different Jesuses over history. Then we have the early church really looked at Jesus through the lens of Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and I'll get to a little bit about the, the early letters in our Bible, but there is this interpretation of Jesus through the lens of Paul instead of seeing what Paul said through the lens of Jesus. And then we have Christ of dogma. This is in the mid-century Going into the creeds, this is where they were articulating their faith using Greek philosophy. Then we have the Protestant Jesus, which is amazing. This is the rediscovery of the cross and justification by faith. But then there's the danger of what I spoke about, this reduced gospel, that it's only just about the cross and his death, not about his ascension and his purpose for the early church. And then we have the post-enlightenment liberal Protestant Jesus, where Jesus was stripped of the miraculous and he was just a, a, a Christian brother. And then we have the Gnostic Jesus in the second and third century, and this is around the time when we had the Da Vinci Code, and Jesus was like the new age figure. 
And there is this move that we're seeing today called the third quest. This is trying to go back and discover the message of Jesus, why he came, how he represents God with his purpose and his mandate. So how have you got to know Jesus? Maybe you've come and sat in church and people have spoken about him. Maybe you've sat in a life group. Maybe you've read the whole Bible. Maybe you've read part of the Bible. But you must understand that when Jesus died, and rose again, and that early church went off, it was an oral tradition. They would talk about what they learned and what they saw and the miracles that Jesus did. And this went on for years, this oral tradition. Then it got to a point which was quite scary is when the apostles started getting crucified. They They were being martyred for what they believed in. And then they thought, you know what, we better start writing some of these stories down, some of what we witnessed, some of what we saw. So they started to then document and write down. So if you look at the first chapter of Luke, he says this, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness report circulating among us from the early disciples Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So the apostles taught are taught the stories, the messages in the gospels that we read, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those were the most accurate recordings of Jesus. And after his death, this was the content that was used used to discover who Jesus was. So we have the three gospels. And without me, again, getting too technical, this is kind of an intro to the sermon series. We have Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are known as the synoptic gospels. And they are very similar in nature and in content. And there is a theory, and this is a theory, that it was... Mark's gospel that was the very first gospel that was written. And he got his content from the apostle Peter, that Peter was about to get martyred and Mark went and took Peter's revelation of who Jesus was as the source of Mark. So we have Mark written first. And then what is interesting when you study scripture is how Luke and Matthew draw from the gospel of Mark. And when you study it, it's very interesting to see how much of Mark is in Luke and how much of Mark is in Matthew. So there is this shared source. And then we have the Gospel John. John was primarily written to people all over the world. It is like more of a spiritual gospel. John writes the letter a lot later than any of the other books, and he puts a different spin on it. And his message is, I want you to fall in love with Jesus and believe. Again, I could get technical. Who was Matthew written to? Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. Mark was written to a Roman audience. Luke was written to a Greek audience. And as I said, John was more written to the people of the world. What I found very interesting, and maybe you don't know this, probably the first letter written was Galatians or 1 Thessalonians. And then we have some of the letters to the church. And then the gospels were written, most probably Mark. And then John was written probably right at the end. 
So what we're going to do as a church is we're going to read through the Gospel of John starting tomorrow. And this is where I'm trusting that you get fresh revelation of Jesus yourself. This is not just gonna be on me to find fresh revelation to give you every Sunday morning. This is going to be you doing the hard work every day, opening up this Gospel of John and reading a few verses a day. If you are one of those overachievers that wants to go through it fast and then go to Matthew and Mark and Luke, go for it. My point is reading this gospel over six weeks is because I want you to take time doing it. I want you to read. I want you to say, Jesus, what are you teaching me through this? I want you to journal. I want you to actually take time and not rush it like a reading plan. You know a reading plan where you're like, done, tick, carry on. I want you to take time. And here's my prayer, church, that you get a fresh revelation of Jesus through the gospels as you spend time in the word. Please don't just rely on the speakers to give you our revelation of Jesus. You need to do it. I'm reading N.T. Wright's book called Simply Jesus. So you can, if you want more, there's a great book. On Friday, I had coffee with Alexander Fenter, who's written this book, Know the Real Jesus. It's quite a theological book for those that want to jump deeper into it, but also find a commentary, because I can tell you now, you're going to be reading John, and you're going to get to a thing, and you're going to go like, what does this mean? This doesn't make sense. Again, self-feeding, get a commentary, and dig, and learn yourself, and then go to your life group whatever night of the week it is, and say, guys, this is what challenged me. This is what spoke to me. This is what I learned about Jesus. This is the spiritual disciplines that we need to have in our life. So we desire to know the real Jesus by studying the Jesus of history, which will allow us to know the Christ of faith. We're going to study the Christ, the Jesus of history we're going to keep growing in our relationship with the Christ of faith, and this hopefully is going to reveal the real Jesus. Knowing about Jesus of history feeds our knowing him by faith. And our motivation is going to be love, that we would fall more in love with him, that we would learn to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then we are going to be intentional about engaging our life group with what we are learning. It's awkward when you have a life group and you say, hey guys, who has something to share? And no one wants to make con eye contact with you. They're all like, hmm, sorry, it's been a busy week. Okay, let me just share what I had. Or maybe you as the life group leader are like, oh, I also don't have anything to share. Find something to share. Be prepared every week that you meet to say, this is the verse that spoke to me. This is something about Jesus that stuck out for me. I want our heart cry, as John the Baptist said in John 3 verse 30, Jesus must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. If you watch the, the series Narnia, this is where Lucy goes to Aslan and says, Aslan, you look bigger. And Aslan says, no, I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. When we keep maturing in our relationship with Jesus, Jesus should become bigger and bigger in our lives, not diminished and smaller and smaller and something on the side. It should be something that becomes big. And I am running out of time, but I want to just end off with one scripture verse that is in Colossians chapter one. And here is my little revelation today. Yes, today's sermon is more of a foundational intro to the sermon series, but here is 
a little take-home revelation of who Jesus is. So in Colossians, they have a problem in the church. And Paul doesn't really explain what the problem is. Do you know what he does? Is he just makes Jesus bigger. I love that. He's like, we have issues, and I'm not gonna talk about the issues, but let me make Jesus big. And once we make Jesus big, all those little things that we fight about will disappear slowly. So he says this in Colossians chapter one, verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says to his disciples, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. This is the revelation I want you to have because if you get to know Jesus, you will get to understand who God is. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. What a statement. Christ is God becoming flesh and visible of this invisible God that we have. God, we ask the question, God, what are you like? Just look at Jesus. He became flesh, the human face of God. So when you're reading through the gospels and you read of a story of Jesus's first miracle, he's attending a wedding. And guess what? The groom has messed up. He has not prepared enough wine for his wedding. This is a shameful thing for the groom. And there Jesus performs his very first miracle. And what is it? It's very spiritual and amazing. What is it? He turns water into wine to cover the shame of the groom. It actually makes the groom the hero because people go to him and say, you kept the best wine for the end? Who does that? You always serve the good wine first. Guys get a little bit drunk and then they drink the bad wine and they don't really know. And as you read the story, you discover, wow, Jesus is there to cover our shame. He knows my shame and he wants to cover my shame. Jesus, speak to me through these parables and these stories. And then you read another story of Jesus encountering the woman caught in adultery and she's surrounded by these religious men with rocks and they're gonna kill her, they're gonna stone her to death. And there, there this woman stands before Jesus and Jesus is writing something in the sand and he says, well, let the first person who is without sin cast the first rock and stone. One by one, the older men start walking off first because they realize, oh, that's me. And this woman hears these rocks dropping and Jesus turns to her and says, I don't condemn you too, but go and sin no more. And I discover a God who is compassionate and merciful. This is the image of the God that we serve, full of compassion and full of mercy. What an awesome king he is that I get to discover and grow to know. He existed before everything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in, heaven, in the heavenly realms and on earth. And he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. This is mind boggling. You can take your life from A to Z on this piece of paper if this represented your life. The Bible says that Jesus created all things through him and for him. You think that your life is A to B, Jesus is the whole piece of paper. 
Jesus is beyond this piece of paper. We have to think of God as the whole line, uh, the whole page in which the line is drawn. We come to this part where we, we, we mark our life from stage to stage and, and God says, I look at it from above, from outside, from all around. From all that contains this line, I see it all. Jesus says, I am the alpha and the omega. I'm not just alpha and then omega. I see the beginning from the end. Paul Barth says, God acts and moves in time while we stand outside, while he stands outside of time. It's not that he shot the movie in his head before he created it. It's that the movie is inside of him. So that he's at the beginning of the movie, he's in the middle of the movie, and he's at the end of the movie. He existed before every, anything was created, and he's supreme over all. When I look at the sky and the trees, it says, through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. And he made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. What does this mean? He knows it all. He sees it all. He sees your worst moment. He sees your most shameful moment. He, see, he sees your failures. He was there in your darkest moments. Everything in this world was created through him and for him and by him. What a revelation, Jesus. Let me never just box you into this little box. You are splendid, you are full of splendor. You are beautiful, you are glorious. Let me look as though I'm looking into a diamond and learn the different facets about who you are. Christ is the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. He is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Let me just read this verse in the first person. Jesus says, I am the visible image of the invisible God. I existed before anything was created and I am supreme over all creation. Through me, God created everything in the heavenly realms on earth. I made the things you can see and the things you can't see, such as kingdoms and thrones and rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Everything was created through me and for me and I existed before everything else and I hold all creation together. Isn't that amazing? When you embark on a journey of saying, Jesus, show me who you are afresh, there is so much to discover. Please don't think you know it all. You know us goody-goody Christians that reckon we've got it all pinned down? We think we have full revelation and we don't have full revelation. Jesus, reveal yourself to us. I want to know you. I want to see you afresh. I want to catch your message in your heart. Let it shape who I am today. So I'm gonna land this service off with an old video that some of you probably saw many years back. And it's by a pastor called Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. And this is an extract from his sermon. Imagine the name, Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. This is an extract from his sermon. And you probably know it but it's an example of how do, you how do you describe the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You can play the video. 
The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave 